Hey there. Welcome to the show. Wow, I can't believe it. You know, the X is going to open. Summer's burning through. You know, here we are, August, and still lots to talk about in real estate. In fact, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, when I take a look at it, there's always something to talk about in real estate. And hence the reason why we have Simply Real Estate every single week here on Sundays at noon. And you know, this week, um, I'm going to be featuring, uh, again, a professional realtor, as I've thrown it out there. If you want to be part of our show, um, all you have to do is follow us on Instagram, the Simple Investor One, DM us, and let us know you want to be part of the show. So if you consider yourself a professional, somebody that does this full, full time, um, and, you know, you want to talk about what your feature is, you know, what is your unique proposition, then by all means, reach out to us, and maybe you could be our next guest. But the guest that I am going to have join me this week is Bridget Obergon. And Bridget uh, specializes in pre-construction real estate. You know, it's amazing how, the you know, the different avenues of real estate. And when you think about pre-construction, you think, well, what, don't you just show up at a builder and, you know, write, a, you know, an agreement to purchase and sale and buy it? Or is there more to it? Well, you know what? I think after listening to Bridget, you're going to get the idea how much more there is to it because there is a lot. And when we talk about brand new construction, so brand new, the stuff that there, there's nothing in the ground yet when you buy, you're buying from potentially drawings, you know, it may not happen for the next five to seven years. So instead of me going on about what pre-construction can be, I'd rather have somebody that does it and does over 600 hundred units a year in that marketplace. One of the top agents uh, in the Remax network. So Bridge is going to be joining me shortly. And of course, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I've had a little bit of a pause thinking about, you know, the market and people and all the government crap that keeps coming out. So, you know what, um, this is where I start working on my real estate rant. And, you know, I started thinking to myself, okay, can I continue to get mad? I mean, it's pretty easy. You know, it's pretty easy. Like, like getting mad at the government. I mean, that's a, that's just like basically boom, you know, it's done. Uh, you know, cause they keep stepping in it. Okay. They really, really keep stepping in it. And so for me, I started thinking to myself, okay, well, what if you take a different rant and what if we just start asking a little bit more questions than just, you know, losing it, you know, cause Again, the losing part of it, you know, I do get pretty excited, as most people know. Um, you know, I can scream and I can swear. And of course, not here on air, but, you know, <laughs> my staff know I do. But, you know, one of the big things, though, one of the big things that we have to understand is that we've got so many factors that have never existed in real estate than does today. So I kind of started thinking to myself, okay, so what's the real problem? What's the real problem with real estate? Everybody says it's unaffordable. Okay. We'll get back to that in a second. Then everybody turns around and says, you know, interest rates. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that too. And then we start talking about things such as immigration. And then we talk about things such as refugees and how everybody wants to rescue everybody. And then you start thinking to yourself, okay, so at what cost? At what cost for Canada? You know, if we just talk about Canada, we could talk about, you know, North America, we could talk about the world. But today I'm only going to talk about, you know, Canada, drill it down Ontario, drill it down GTA. And I keep wondering, and, uh, you know, this, these are the kind of things that I ask myself all the time. Is there a solution? Should we be looking for a solution? 
because we can't solve all the world problems that are now facing us. You know, the pandemic created something we've never seen before. We saw this mass exodus where people just said, look, you know what? We got to stay at home more. So let's buy bigger homes. So what happened? They went to the outer markets and then everybody said, well, the, 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 the GTA market's going to crash. It didn't, you know, yeah, a little, you know, a 5% or 10% up and down either way, isn't a crash or a boom. It's reality. It happens. We've seen it. We've seen it happen, you know, for many decades. Then I started thinking to myself, okay, well, wait a minute. What is the problem? Okay. You know, if you take a look at certain generations that own their homes, is that a problem for them? No. So where does the problem exist? Well, a lot of people are screaming affordability, right? And so when we talk about affordability, of course, we've got to talk about the generation that is buying their first home. Then I started thinking to myself, okay, well, let's talk about that generation. What did they face? Well, something that we never did, you know, first and foremost, you know, there's social media, there's comparing each other, there's brands. You got to have this brand, that tech wear, this footwear, this, this, you know, got to get your you know, double pump, espresso, cafe, latte, whatever it is that you're going to go buy yourself. And then, you know, having, having experienced this myself, it's like looking at a visa bill of a, you know, a 20 something year old and saying, how many times do you go out to dinner a week? Where do you buy your lunch or breakfast? So again, this, there's a generation that isn't the same generation that began the strength of real estate. You know, when you take a look at the the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, you know, 90s even, when people were buying real estate, we didn't face all of these obstacles, you know. But today, there's obstacles that exist that actually is making housing unaffordable. Now, I know a lot of people are saying, yeah, but hang on, Todd, prices went up. Well, let's think about the parents that, you know, everybody complains about that turned around, bought a house for 200000 and it's worth $2 million today, you know. For it to be worth that today, they had to live there for 20 years. They had to maintain it for 20 years. They had to pay the taxes for 20 years. You know, they had their kids grow up there. You know, they had to put their kids through school, do this, do that. Shouldn't that actually be the value of the house? Like, how, how could we actually think for a second that the values can't go up in time? They always have. Well, then we take a look at the government, you know, one of the biggest problems I have with the government, not just the government today, but the government of tomorrow is because tomorrow's promising something that there's no way it's going to get delivered. And today's the problem, right? You know, I always say today's the tomorrow you thought about yesterday. Well, you know, the government doesn't realize that, but the government making promises today. Okay. That, well, that, that's almost yesterday already. Like it's already sailed. So what can we do about this? How do we deal with a housing crisis? And it is a crisis. Let's be honest. Okay, it is a crisis. You know, we can sit there and berate landlords, but what about the fact that without landlords, tenants have no place to live? Well, then, of course, you get the argument where people say, well, if landlords didn't own it, do you really believe every single tenant could afford their property? And I don't just mean afford meaning you know, you're buying it for 400 versus 600. I'm saying afford it, meaning that they can pay and qualify for a mortgage. They come up with a down payment and do they want to, you know, we're coming into a generation that God help you. If you ask somebody to cut the grass, okay. Or, you know, wash the windows or, you know, 
do something physically to a property. You know, that's a lot, that, 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 that's something that's sale. You know, I, I take a look at the neighborhood and I know people that have teenagers, they have kids in their twenties and yet the father's the one out cutting the grass. Why is that? You know, and so do we have a generation that doesn't want to do the maintenance? Well, I think that's very much apparent. But how about the fact that that means that if you don't want to do the maintenance, you're not going to own a home. You got to own a condo. Okay. So we got condos figured out. But if you want to own a condo, what do you want out of that condo? And now that's your first time home, right? But a lot of people want the extras. They want to be closest to their friends, their work, food, entertainment. And normally in the game of Monopoly, we call that Boardwalk and Park Place. It's the one that everybody wants to own because it's the closest, right? It's, it's, the, it's the, the big buck place. Everybody wants to own that one. And they forget about the other stuff. Farther away from go, farther away from, you know, friends, entertainment, things like that. But they're affordable. And this is part of our problem. Okay, so it's not just a housing problem. I think it's a human problem that is rearing its head. Did COVID bring it to the forefront? I think so. I think what happened in during COVID was people turned around and realized that, yes, we want to own, you know, real estate. But then what happened during COVID was the government did a really, really big mistake. They turned around and gave away the farm. They turned around and gave all the money, blow the interest rates down to the very bare minimum, and they turned around and they were subsidizing things. And then the mistake that was made, of course, was now you have too much money, go spend it. And when people actually went out and spent it, all of a sudden people said, well, wait, that's getting out of control. Inflation. So now we're going to have to push the Bank of Canada. The same voice that said, we're not going to increase rates very quickly, did it anyways. And now you want to blame Canadians for taking on too much debt. Are you kidding me? You created the problem. And I know a lot of people will sit there and say, no, you took on the debt. Yes, but only after we were told one thing. And then, of course, people say, why would you believe them? Well, in most cases, during most narratives... We want to believe the people that were elected to protect us. And now they're not. Okay, now they're going to make some family suffer. The Bank of Canada rate, you know, it's a 50-50. Is it going to move in September? If it does, quarter point. Quarter point's it. They don't have anything left. There's zero bullets in the gun. And in, in fact, I think they're waving around a gun that has nothing in the chambers if they do anything. And ultimately, in the end, I think everybody has to take a look at what's the real problem here? Well, I can go back to immigration. And one of the things that how Canada got built in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, was the people that were immigrating decided to be tradesmen. Do you know some of those people are still working, but they're about to retire? And we're going to have a real housing crisis. It's not about the price. It's not going to be about nine-foot ceilings, granite countertops. It's going, the true problem that's going to arise is we've got nobody to build it. And that's the greatest problem that Canada will now face is there's nobody going to be able to build the inventory that we desperately need. Anyways, as I mentioned, coming up next, I've got Bridget Obergon joining me. And if you're uh, interested in coming to the Simple Seminar webinar, Thursday, 
August the 24th at 7 p.m., go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. And we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Uh, as I mentioned just before the break, um, I've got a new guest joining me here in studio. Um, if you don't remember or you haven't heard what I do every single month is I have a special show that will always feature a professional agent. And so, you know, one of the things I like uh, people to do is obviously follow me on Instagram, the simple investor one, you know, tell me why you should be featured here on the show. You come into the studio, um, and I've reached out to a lot of the different broker owners, um, in the industry and, I was really lucky, actually, because um, my next guest, she's she hasn't followed the show, but I'm pretty sure she's going to do it from now on. But uh, her broker owner reached out to me and said, hey, Todd, look, you want to talk to somebody that's in the now, somebody that's like understands what's going on in the building aspect of it. So the new construction, new sales. He said, look, you, you got to reach out to Bridget. And I said, OK, well, tell me about Bridget. And so uh, Bridget Obergon, um, she is the founder and broker at GTA Homes, and she's ranked number six in Remax, involved in over 600 transactions annually. Wow, that's a huge number, folks, and been licensed since 2004. So she's no stranger to the show. And so, Bridget, welcome. Thank you so much, Todd, for having me here. It's actually exciting and uh, a pleasure meeting you today. Yeah, thanks so much for coming in. You know, it's it's one of those things that when talking to realtors with experience like yourself, you know, you kind of can open up the minds, I think, of a lot of our listeners. So um, tell us a little bit about how you got started and how you evolved into your current place of business. For sure. So I actually come from the tech sector. I worked for IBM for over 10 years. And being at IBM for 10 years, I actually, you know, was hitting the ceiling. I, I couldn't grow any any bigger where I was. So I decided to look into real estate. So in 2004, I got licensed. I started doing the usual thing that, you know, new realtors do. They start going into the resale market and they start selling houses. They start meeting buyers. And as I was learning in the first five, six years, most of my buyers were contractors. So they were buying homes and then converting it into modern two-story homes. Uh, but then back in 2008, 2009, uh, you know, the market was a little bit slower. And a lot of my clients then asked me, hey, you know, we have extra cash for the money we've made from uh, flipping, from buying and selling and renovating. Where can we park our money? So I started looking into pre-con. In 2009, I entered the pre-con world. And since then, I've never looked back. Wow. You know, it's interesting because when we when we look back at, let's say, 2009, square footage prices, where were they roughly back then? I mean, weren't they around like $250, $300 a square foot? They were around $350, $400 per square foot downtown core. And yeah. the outside wasn't even, like, people wouldn't even imagine living up in the sky back then too as well. So, Yeah, you know, and, and it's amazing how it's evolved, um, you know, throughout the years. So let's let's talk about some of the things that when you, we talk about pre-construction, um, first and foremost, normally if somebody buys, let's say from the plans, they come to see you, what is normally the time from when they go to contract to the time where they actually close? That's a pretty big gap, isn't it? It is. And it's because of a lot of, you know, processes that the developer has to go through. So it takes roughly about five to seven years to actually deliver a product. And actually, when clients come over to me to invest in the pre-construction world, to invest in the GTA, they're actually buying on the first round of sales. 
So I have built the relationship with all the developers across the greater golden horseshoe. So what does that mean? Uh, when people are saying, well, what do you mean you invested, you know, the relationship or grew the relationship with the developers? It means that I have first access to the building. So, and that is a, a key component that is very important for a lot of investors because having the first access to pricing because developers need to sell 70% of the building in order to get construction financing. So it is to their best interest to make sure that they sell 70% of the building in order to get the loan from the bank. So they will do, you know, anything possible to get the loan. Just like here, let's say you were building a two-story home right. and you need uh, your, the bank to finance it for you. Then the banks are going to give you conditions and you want to meet all those conditions. So one of those conditions is to actually meet sales, 70% of sales. So what developers do is that they actually come out at their lowest price for the first round of sales. And then as they, they, the sales start balling, then they start increasing pricing. So that is very important for my clients because pricing is everything. I know in real estate, a lot of people say location, location, location. <laughs> But when it comes to investment, the first thing that we actually have to look at is pricing. So if the pricing makes sense, then we look at location and then your investment uh, is, is a sound investment. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, back to the the pre-con and, and the fact that five to seven years, you know, a lot has been made out with the media right now about, you know, re reducing red tape, speeding things up. Um, do you think that that's possible? Do you think they can actually, because that, that, that five-year gap, I mean, from a from an investor's perspective, obviously, you know, we've watched, you know, prices go up over that time period. But ultimately, it just seems like we're, we're, we're stagnated. We just like, you know, no matter what they do, it's still going to take five to seven years. Yeah, it's a, it's a long process. I mean, the government is getting involved. They are actually acknowledging the issue you have, which is supply, and we're not building fast enough. But uh, right now, I think it's kind of impossible because I talk to a lot of developers. They tell me that they are talking to the trades and there's not enough workers out there to actually build for what we need to build for. So to fix that problem, I don't think we're going to be fixing it uh, today or tomorrow. I think it's going to take roughly about five or even longer because, first of all, we need a process that works. And to get a building approved from the city right now, it takes about three and a half years just to get it approved. Right. It, you know, it's not even like breaking into ground. It's just getting it approved from the city. So that alone has to be fixed. There needs to be a better process, a better plan from the government. And also we need to actually bring in people into Canada in order to build these condos because we don't have enough people to build. So we, we don't have enough homes, enough people, but we also don't have enough workers as well. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you touch on that because that's one of my, my hot topics that I deal with all the time is the fact that the lack of trades and the lack of builders that we have out there, but we do have a huge influx of people coming into the country. You know, when we when you take a look at a million people immigrating into Canada, um, about half of them end up in the GTA, you know, 500,000 people, but they're not coming in as skilled trades. They're not coming in as drywallers, plumbers. We're not seeing any of that. And the problem is, is that we also have an aging demographic when we talk about builders. Mm-hmm. 25% of the trades are going to be retiring soon. And Todd, can I tell you, the way they work is not the way the people are working today. <laughs> <laughs> they were hard workers. And then, you know, people right today, I mean, they're, you know, a different era. But 
we're not bringing the right uh, trades in order for us to build. So they are coming in, but I mean, there are, you know, nurses, there are doctors, there are lawyers, there are bankers, they're in the finance department, but they're not the trades that we need, which is the brick and mortars, which are the construction workers. Yeah, they're good at building social media platforms. <laughs> you know, they're good at making YouTube videos, but they're certainly not good at actually the brick and mortar aspect of things. Um, Bridget, we're going to go to a quick break. And uh, folks, so I've got uh, Bridget Obergon uh, joining me today. Again, remember this uh, this part of the show, uh, I do a feature every single month of a, you know, a top end agent, somebody what I would call a full time professional. And for those of you that listen to the to the show, you know, I'm a real stickler on the fact that you do this and this only. And Bridget clearly has done this for almost 20 years. And this is her full time job. She doesn't do anything but live, breathe, sleep, you know, real estate. And I think that that's one of those things. If there's a message to take away when, when we talk to these professionals is that how committed they are to it. So I'm going to talk uh, more with Bridget when we come back. The other thing is, is if you have not signed up for our simple seminar webinar, that's right. It's coming up on Thursday, August the 24th at 7 PM. You can go to the simpleinvestor.com to register. So why should you join us? Well, first and foremost, you know what? I am going to talk to you about how you work with this interest rate environment. Um, you know, how do you, as a, especially as an investor, protect yourselves? Where do you utilize a little bit of equity so that you can offset these costs so you're not bleeding the way some people are? So definitely going to talk about that. That's one of the big highlights of this next seminar webinar. But on top of that, our latest release, our final release that we have coming out right now is going to feature a special interest rate at only 3.99. And it's real. And if you want to find out more, go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. And of course, when we come back, I've got more uh, with Bridget. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Hey, and welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest in the studio today is Bridget Obergon. And just so you know, Bridget is a real professional realtor. Um, she's somebody that focuses on pre-construction um, properties. And, you know, one of the big things about that is we look towards the future and what does it have, you know, what kind of impact will it have? You know, should we be talking to investors? Um, Bridget, just before the break, you and I were actually um, talking before we came on the show about the difference between real estate speculators and real estate investors. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge, huge fan of real estate investors, not so much as speculators. Mm -hmm. So real estate investors, uh, I mean, it gets thrown around like everybody's an investor. But at the end of the day, when you are investing in real estate, especially here in the Greater Golden Horseshoe, you need to analyze a lot of detail. You're making second sources of income for yourself. The first one is your job where you go out and work. And the second one is investment. And you got to do, you got to do that. You got to invest. Otherwise, you know, when you retire, you're going to be broke. And I literally say that with my whole soul and heart, you're going to be broke if you don't have a good, you know, pension plan or investment portfolio. So a real estate investor, uh, when we are dealing with them, we educate them, not only to the point of why they should be investing, you know, uh, looking at, uh, you know, the growth, population, employment, but we don't only just only focus on that. We focus on why we should be investing, the reason why you, Todd, you invest, why me, myself, I'm an investor. At the end of the day, I'm an investor because this is what's going to sustain me when I retire, or maybe I need it for a rainy day. My family needs some funds. So you have to understand how real estate investment works, and it's long-term. So you have to analyze a lot of factors, carrying costs, deposit, 
uh, closing costs in case your tenant can't cover rent or doesn't want to pay your rent or you can't get a tenant in there for the first three, four, five months, how much is it going to cost to carry that? And then we're talking about interest rates. Interest rates, we educate clients. Interest rates are going up and down, up and down. And as an investor, you're supposed to look at it as the, the, the real estate market, as the market itself. Because at the end of the day, you're not owning a property for today or tomorrow for one year. You're owning it for 25 years. So you got to look at the average. And a real true investor is not investing because they're speculating that this is going to be appreciating 10% year over year growth, 5, 10. No, a real true investor is investing because at the end of the day, they're going to own something that somebody else paid for them after 25 years. And then they're going to be re re uh, generating income. Yeah. So that's a true investor. Wow. You know, um, Bridget, um, if you get tired of doing what you do, you can come and work with us here at The Simple Investor. That was that was a great analogy of it. And and folks, I, I couldn't agree more with Bridget's take on that. Um, honestly, that, that that's great because real estate investors, you know, one, one of the things we, we talk about here, of course, is the ability also to refinance, take money out, buy another property. So properties buy properties. You know, the big thing, of course, is when we take a look at these speculators that pop into the market, they're normally there kind of like a hit and run. You know, like you see them, they want to make a quick buck and then take off. Um, again, that's not a real estate investor. And and I think you put it brilliantly, the idea of long-term ownership. I also like your take on, on the fact that when we take a look at retirement and people with pensions and so this, this goes into our next topic, of course, is uh, the government, okay? Um, you know, and, and it's okay. Everybody knows I bash them. So if you want to hop on board, you can do it. But, you know, I, th I think the numbers are so skewed right now in the government where, you know, they can't they can't build a thousand homes. Why are they promising 1.5 million? Mm -hmm. So that's a good question, actually. So doing pre-con for the past 14 years, I actually sleep, eat, and breathe pre-con. This is all I do. I don't sell a resale, I don't sell commercial, I'm not into, into leasing, I sell pre-con. This is my, 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 my reason why I wake up every day. So when I hear the government coming out, oh, we're going to build 1.5 billion homes in the next decade. Really? <laughs> <laughs> They're out to lunch. Yeah. You know, because I, I analyze a lot of numbers. Not only do I just only look at what's happening in the resale market, pre-con market, interest rates, population growth, employment growth, but I also see how many homes we're building actually how many get delivered. So in Ontario for the past 10 years, we were only able to deliver 80,000 homes. They want, they want to build 150,000 homes for the next 10 years each year. But then they forget that, hey, you know what? There is a lot of red tape. You're not only just not only allowing us to build, you need to go through this lengthy process that takes forever. And on top of that, we don't have the trades. We don't have the workers. And not only, on top of that, you're bringing in a lot of people coming in population growth and we got no place to put them in <laughs> hence for the rental rates you know inflating right now so when they're saying that they have a goal for 1.5 million homes i think they should talk to us maybe we can share a little bit you know information for them so we can guide them and put an actual plan that will actually be executable I, you know i almost want to say hallelujah hallelujah because <laughs> because when we when we take a look at the the big picture, as you just pointed out, you know, they're making a commitment and, 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 and I said this to, to a couple of my, my previous guests, 
instead of promising us 1.5, how about you promise us 40,000 this year? You know, like don't bite off so much that you can't chew. And, you know, we, we, we've seen and heard both federal, provincial, municipal, everybody's hopping on the bandwagon. You know, it's definitely something I think that they use to get votes, you know, and it's impossible to deliver. Absolutely impossible. You know it. I know it. You know, the people that actually do it know it. But for some reason, you know, when somebody sits there and says they want to solve the housing problem, I sit there and say, you don't have a clue. Go away. Empower the private developers. Give them the incentives. Give them the tax breaks. And I know some people are going, yeah, but the developers make so much money. Don't kid yourself. They pay through the nose to develop properties, especially in the GTA. It's a risk. They're actually taking a risk and they're not making no more than 8%. I mean, I mean, a business builds something, let's say Apple, they, they build and create our phones and they got to make profit on it in order for them to sustain their company, the people that work in it. So no, they're not, they're taking a big risk. And not only that, they don't get paid right away. I mean, they get paid until the property is closed, but they're, they're not the greedy uh, in, uh, developers actually. So I see a lot of other people being more greedier yeah. <laughs> out there, which I'm not going to mention, but at the end of the day, this isn't an issue. Uh, and they shouldn't just, you know, come and just blah, 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 and think they're going to, you know, fix this problem overnight, which is not. It's going to take years of work. And I only just touched base on the pre-con market, which I sell condominiums, but in the purpose-built market, the rental market, we're actually going to be needing around 312,000 units for the next 10 years. And there's going to be a deficit of almost 200,000 units. Yeah, and they're not factoring in the immigration as much as they should. Um, when you take a look at that deficit, and that's with them still trying to incentivize builders to build some pre-con. And of course, that goes way back into the Ray days when they turned around and they threw in rent control. Everybody stopped building literally the purpose-built rentals stopped being built in around 1990. And since then, everything was built as condo. And of course, you and I know the tale that everybody thinks that if you're a landlord, you own a condo, you're a greedy landlord. But without all of these condos being put into the marketplace for rentals, the, the housing crisis would be tenfold. Even worse. A lot worse. I mean, people wouldn't be able to afford rent today. If you think rent is expensive today... If actually investors wouldn't be investing in the condo market, which the condo market is the rental market, 60% of the condo market is actually the rental market. So if investors wouldn't be able to invest and provide a home to somebody who really needs it, we'd be in a, a worse, much worse uh, case. Yeah, because I think everybody thinks that just because um, investors have bought these properties, it forces the market up. And then all of a sudden, if we didn't have all these investors, then all the end users would hop into the market. So before you and I go down that path, we're going to go to another quick break. Hey, folks, if you are not following me on Instagram yet, uh, follow me, The Simple Investor One. Uh, a lot of our posts um, you'll find are about what's going on in the market. I do talk about Bank of Canada, where the rates are going and... You know, I kind of vet my spleen once in a while because I'm getting a little bit tired of the abuse that the Canadian, um, you know, the your typical Canadian is feeling right now and how the government has completely shut their eyes to the real situation that we have. So if you're not following us, do that. And when I come back, I've got more with Bridget. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. You know, it's amazing how fast an hour can go. And so for this final segment, I uh, I was able to have Bridget uh, Obergon stay with me. 
And so just so you know, Bridget is a professional agent. Uh, you know, it really doesn't get any more than that. You know, when, when you when you decide to, you know, think about what does an agent do, I think Bridget's got it all in a great package where she does educate her clients. She does her research. You know, she knows what's going on with the economy, the government, financing, everything about it. And I think that uh, listening to somebody like Bridget is very, very important. So you have a better understanding. So Bridget, it's been great having you on the show. Um, so let's let's talk about kind of the offer process because you know a lot of people get a little bit nervous when they have to put pen to paper. And you know, again, when we take a look at brand new builds, um, you know, the, the APSs, the agreement of purchase and sale, they're pretty thick. And there's some outs there. And you know, of course, it's it's conditional on lawyers' review and everything else, but. There are situations where there's going to be delays. So let's let's talk a little bit about the offer process when we talk about pre-con. Mm -hmm. So for pre-construction, the first thing that we do is we actually meet the, the client and we have a series of process. We don't talk about pricing, floor plans, or brochure until we know that the client understands what they're getting into. So what are they getting into? Uh, learning how to uh, read the APS. By the time they get to the lawyer, they already know the whole APS. Uh, also, you know, what does it take to be an investor? Not only the, not only do you only need the deposit, but you need carrying costs, closing costs. And closing costs can add up to 10% in the pre-con market. So like you said, the APS is 200 pages length. <laughs> so you need to be very knowledgeable with it. Uh, but to be an investor in the pre-con market, the whole process is that you need to be more educated before you actually sign on the dotted line. You need to understand what the pre-con market is all about and why you're getting into it. So when we meet a, a client, we educate them. We have seminars. Uh, we give them a whole aspect of, you know, where they should be investing. So we do sell across the grid golden horseshoes. There's 25 urban growth centers. And if you are an investor and you can't afford investing in Toronto, there's other, you know, areas where you can go and park your money, like here in Burlington or Oakville. There's a lot of density coming here. Uh, so we educate them on the urban growth plan too as well, because that's something that you should be educated. That's something that you should know, which is a government plan. Uh, and, you know, it's it's a lot. But what I'm trying to say is that before you actually sign on that dotted line, you need to do your numbers. You need to analyze, you know, how much money you have, what where are you going to be able to invest, uh, what is required, how long it takes for, for a builder to deliver the product, what happens if you don't have a tenant. So... What I'm trying to say is align yourself with a realtor that's going to be educating you and make it your homework. Don't go ask anybody else but yourself and study it and then make that 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 call. Yeah. So let's talk about something that became uh, very fashionable, let's say, in the last 10 years, and that's buying pre-construction and then flipping it prior to closing. They call it assignment. Yes. And, you know, in the very early days, um, you know, well, I could date myself here, but I won't. Uh, in the early days, the builders would turn around and charge you for that assignment clause. And then after a while, I think they just realized, well, it's something, you know, everybody's going to want. So they stop charging, putting a fee on it. Sometimes they do for administrative reasons. But talk about an assignment and the good and the bad of it. Mm -hmm. So there are three things that we actually look for when you're actually signing an APS uh, with a developer, and those are free assignment, cap development charges and levies, and free rental, uh, uh, right to lease during occupancy. So in terms of assignment, we actually call that as an escape clause. What's an escape clause? Basically, if something were to happen to you, 
life change or you can't afford it no more or you can't close no more, then that's when you should exercise that clause. Right. But if you're just buying to flip, to invest, to time Mr. Market, I always tell my clients it's better for you to go down to a casino, you know, roll the dice, and you find out if you're going to lose or, or, or win. That's a faster way of knowing as opposed to winning five, six years. Not only that, when you are timing the market and you are coming into this market to be a speculator or a flipper, I go, I'm going to actually tell you, you're going to lose because nobody knows what's going to be happening tomorrow. And this is a long-term game. So, uh, you know, don't, don't think you're going to come in and be a speculator here or you're going to be uh, doing an assignment and make $200,000 before it's built because that's a fairy tale that a lot of maybe other realtors tell you. But what I would tell you is to actually do your homework, know the reason why. This is why, you know, when I meet a, a, an investor is I ask them, what is the reason? Why are we investing? Is it for generational wealth? Is it for our retirement? Is it because you want to live a better lifestyle for tomorrow or for a rainy day? So you need to find that reason and then learn and then, you know, invest. Yeah. And, and I think one of the misperceptions out there is that um, the taxation on an assignment and a lot of people um, forget that when you sell it prior to you owning it, it's not deemed capital gains, folks. It's deemed actual income for that year that you close. And let's say hypothetically, you, you, know, you make $100,000 on a property when you flip it. And let's say your actual income is $100,000. Your taxable income that year becomes 200000 which forces your actual tax bracket up. And a lot of people, Bridget, I think don't understand that the CRA is cracking down on these people alone. Mm -hmm. So you said it right. It's going to be 100% income. But, you know, you're going to actually lose. Because, yes, we've been seeing a lot of growth for the past 10 years. Pre-construction and resale homes have been appreciating on average 7% for the past 30 years. But the next 10 years might not be like that. Sure. You know, so for you to go into it thinking you're going to make $100,000, even if you get taxed on 100% and pay 53% on your tax bracket, it, it, it's not even a, a wise investment to do that. You just spent so much time, so much money to get a little portion. What works best is for you to invest long term. I've seen clients assi doing assignments because other realtors told them, no, buy and flip and you'll make $100,000. Yeah, but if you would have held that property for another 10, 20 years, you would make a hundredfold more. So I would say don't buy into the stories. You know, when it sounds too good to be true, yeah. I think you should run. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because when I first, uh, many, many years ago, I was working with some builders and I ended up buying a couple of properties that I flipped. And I thought, oh, look at me. You know, I made a quick this. I look back on it now, and at the time, um, I, I was going to pay $280,000 for a property. I saw one of them go up for sale a couple of months ago for $2.5 <laughs> And imagine if you would have sold it five years after that. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. So, so you know, I, I, I definitely have experienced and seen it. Um, listen, Bridget, I, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. If our uh, listeners want to reach out to you and your team, um, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, visit my website at gta-homes.com. And Todd, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited. Yeah, thank you so much. And and you know what? I, I definitely, were, I'm going to tell my, my producer, Aiden, uh, you know, we definitely have to have Bridget return because I think uh, we could do a, a little bit of a pre-con, you know, segment maybe every six months. And that way you can, you know, let us know how, 
how's government doing? Not really, uh, but how the, everybody else is doing. So I think I think that's going to be really important. So thank you so much for today. It's been wonderful having you here. So folks, uh, Bridget uh, Obergon, and uh, definitely, you know, when I talk about professional agents, I could not look for somebody that's more professional than Bridget right now. And uh, so big picture coming up. Don't forget on Thursday, August the 24th at 7 p.m. It's my simple seminar webinar I am going to talk about, you know, the benefits of owning investment real estate, but we do have that special offer, 3.99% interest rate on the newest release. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. We know the Bank of Canada is going to flex. When is that going to happen? Well, I'm going to talk about that too. You know what? One of the things that we don't have a crystal ball, but we have to take a look at where we are from an economic standpoint and what is going to happen in the future. And of course, we're in some of the best places to invest. You know, there's all sorts of places. Um, so all that and more. So go to the simpleinvestor.com to register. And I look forward to seeing everybody, uh, that Thursday evening at 7 PM, if not, uh, here in person, uh, on our webinar. And uh, of course I do want to thank, uh, my producer, Aiden. He keeps it simple for me every single week. And we can't forget about Ian Grant at head office. You know, he makes sure that we're doing it right. You know, checks in with us once in a while. And most importantly, I want to thank you for making us the number one real estate talk show and again, I'll be back next Sunday at noon as usual. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 Toronto.